Welcome to On The Way, where we walk through scripture in episodes that are short enough that you can listen to them on the way to your destination and deep enough to help you on the way to becoming who God created you to be. We are being sanctified. We've not yet reached perfection. We are not yet in heaven, but we are on the way. Hey, welcome to episode 24 of On The Way. This is the fourth episode in the book of Luke. Today we're going to do the second part of Luke chapter 3 and the first part of Luke 4. And can I preface this week's episode by saying there's a really good chance you're going to disagree with something I say. These are some very controversial conversations and some people who are a lot smarter than me disagree with me on some of these things. So we concluded last week with this, Luke 3.16. I baptize you with water, John says, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is where Luke presents Jesus' mission to the world by telling the story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. He dunks Jesus under the water in the Jordan River, and then there's this amazing scene where God the Father shows up and the Holy Spirit announces the deity of Jesus. He is the beloved Son of God. Let's talk for a minute about John's water baptism. Where did it come from? Well, for a long time, I thought it came from a practice the Jews did to make Gentiles Jewish, but recently I re-looked at it, found out I was wrong. I've realized that apparently they didn't start using baptism to make Gentiles into Jews until after the life of Jesus and after the life of John the Baptist, obviously. I actually think John took his idea of water baptism from the Jewish tradition of the mikvah. In the Jewish sacrificial system, people couldn't properly worship God if they were unclean. So Jews could be made unclean by doing things like touching a dead body, menstruating, touching someone who was menstruating, having sex, or other things like that. And the way that they would become clean was by washing off in a mikvah so that they could properly worship God. So what's a mikvah? It's a pool of water that gathered naturally, not by human hands. The water in a mikvah had to come from rainwater or a spring or some other natural source. It couldn't be gathered with human labor. They called it living water in the mikvah. So when Jesus offered the woman at the well living water, he's saying that he is the source of living water. He is God. I don't have much time to talk about this, but the mikvah is a really cool foreshadowing of the grace that is offered to us by cleansing of our sins. We are made clean. How? By washing in God's mikvah. We can't earn it. We can't gather it, but the, the living water is given to us as a gift from God. We can't gather it. The forgiveness of sins is given by God. So what is John doing when he baptizes people in water? Well, he's washing people in a mikvah but he's only doing it once. In the Jewish sacrificial system, people bathed in a mikvah repeatedly. Every time that they were unclean, they had to bathe. But John baptized people once. It's like sacrifice. Before Jesus, they had to do it over and over again. And that's what they had to do in the mikvah, over and over again. They repeatedly immersed themselves in the living water to be cleansed of impurity. Hebrews 10.10 tells us that Jesus was sacrificed once for all. 
no more need for repeated sacrifice, Jesus is saying. That, 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 that was done one time by Jesus. Well, that's John's baptism. He's sending the message that there's no need for repeated cleansing in a mikvah. Now you can be baptized one time to show that you have been cleansed by the blood of the Messiah. Then in the end of Luke 3, there's a genealogy, Jesus' genealogy. It tracks Jesus' lineage through King David, through Abraham, and all the way back to Adam. And what is he showing by revealing this? He's showing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah that was prophesied by all those prophets who said that he would descend from these people. He's showing that as a descendant of David, Jesus is a king. He's showing that as a descendant of Abraham, he brings God's blessings. And as a descendant of Adam, Jesus is bringing those blessings to all of humanity, not just to the Jews. So Jesus' baptism is a way of announcing to the world something about Jesus that has changed. Now he's going public. Hey world, you thought Jesus was just a stonemason from Nazareth, but no. He is much more than that. He is the king of the new Israel. He is the deliverer, the Messiah. And from this moment on, Jesus' training season was over and he was on a mission. And we do the same thing, right? When we give our lives to Jesus, when our Christian mission begins, we get baptized. Our baptism doesn't save us. It is a testimony that we have been saved. It is a declaration to the world that we are a new creation. In Luke's other book, Acts, he tells of a time that, that Peter is preaching to a large crowd of people and he says, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2, 38. Now many people have read this passage and come to the conclusion that Peter is saying we have to get baptized to be saved. But that is a total misrepresentation of what he's saying. Let me give you three thoughts on this. Number one, Jesus was baptized. And he didn't need to get saved, right? He never sinned. Apparently, baptism served a different purpose in his life. Number two, baptism is a symbol. It's a physical metaphor of something spiritual that is happening. When a passage in the Bible says that we need to get baptized to be saved, it's talking about the spiritual baptism that water baptism is meant to symbolize. Water baptism is a symbol, a ceremony, that points to the actual baptism that happened in someone's heart. It's like a wedding. When, someone, when, when people do the unity candle or they take two jars of sand and pour them together or whatever other ceremony they do or they, they tie two ropes together to represent that they are two people becoming one. I've seen a bunch of different wedding ceremonies that symbolize two people becoming one, but none of those ceremonies marry anyone, right? I've married a lot of people without any of those ceremonies. The ceremony is a testimony, not the act itself. That's baptism. It's a testimony to the salvation, not the salvation itself. Number three, when Peter told the crowd to be baptized, he told them to do it so they would receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, receiving the Holy Spirit and being saved are not the same thing. The Holy Spirit descended on the church at Pentecost, but were there any Christians in the church before Pentecost? Yes. The, receiving the Holy Spirit was not the same thing as being saved, even if they happened at the same time. So even if Peter was talking about water baptism, and I don't think he was, 
He wasn't talking about getting baptized for salvation. He was talking about doing it as a prerequisite for receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And number four, Jesus told the thief on the cross that he was going to paradise, but he never got baptized in water, right? So apparently it's not required for everyone. And I'm not saying any of this to discourage water baptism. I think water baptism is incredibly important, but it's not necessary for salvation. At our church, we put a very high value on water baptism, and I'm not doing it because I think people like wet t-shirt contests in church. In fact, most people don't like the idea of baptism at all. Some rough dude gets baptized before you, and you imagine whatever he's trying to wash off is just floating around in the stagnant water. Gross, I'm not getting in there. I remember when COVID happened and pastors were all talking about whether or not we're going to require people to wear masks when they get baptized. That's called waterboarding. Pretty sure we are not allowed to do that anymore. No, we get baptized because we see the value in a good testimony. Testimonies work. Okay, before we end, I want to talk about one more disagreement Christians have when it comes to baptism, and that's infant baptism. I just cannot wrap my mind around infant baptism. Usually when I disagree with another Christian on theology, I can adjust my thinking just a little bit by just so I can possibly understand the conclusion that they came to. But for me, infant baptism is not like that. The only way I can possibly believe that infant baptism is a biblical practice would be to change my beliefs on two issues. Number one, I'd have to get myself to believe that there's no free will. And number two, I'd have to believe that baptism is required for salvation. And I don't believe either of those things. Honestly, I can understand why some Christians could come to the conclusion that we don't have free will. And I can understand how some Christians can come to the conclusion that baptism is required for salvation. But to try to contort my brain to believe both of those things at the same time, I just can't do it. If I don't have free will, why would I need to be baptized to be saved? I don't have time to go into all the reasons, but this makes no sense to me. I often get asked the question, Pastor Mike, if I was baptized as a kid, should I get re-baptized? My answer is always, well, no, but you should get baptized. Because what you did as a kid was not baptism. Your parents pointlessly sprinkled water on you when you were a kid, and now you need to get baptized. We call it believer's baptism. And you didn't believe when you were a baby. I've read R.C. Sproul's weird argument about why infants should get baptized, and he says it's because baptism is a continuation of circumcision, but it makes no sense to me. Why then would the New Testament go to so much work to emphasize the futility of circumcision without mentioning that we should do infant baptism instead? It's not there. There is not a single reference to infant baptism in the entire New Testament. In my opinion, it's a made-up religious practice by dogmatic men. And let me say again, I know there are people listening to me who disagree with me. Maybe you were baptized as a baby. Maybe maybe you're right and I'm wrong. My thinking on this has changed a lot over the years. But the more I study it, the more clear it has become to me. I'd love to chat with you sometime if you have some thoughts that would change my thinking. Okay, that's all I have time for today. We'll do the second half of Luke 4 next week. If you're getting together with a group to discuss this episode, we've included some discussion questions in the show notes. And if you have time, spend a few moments in prayer before your gathering. Ask God to use these passages to form you into the person he created you to be. 
Thank you for joining me for this episode of On The Way. Here are the discussion questions for this episode. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all present at Jesus' baptism. What does that tell us about the nature of Jesus? Number two, what role do you believe baptism plays in a Christian's spiritual journey? Number three, what does it teach us that baptism in water is a one-time event rather than a repeated event like washing in a mikvah as in the Jewish cleansing ritual? Number four, we read in Luke 2 that Jesus was presented or dedicated at the temple and circumcised when he was a baby. How is this different than the baby baptisms that we see today? Number five, if Christians were baptized by their parents when they were babies, should they get baptized as adults? <laughs>